welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me today is a man who has spent a lot of time thinking about Freddie Adu, at least recently, but it sounds like long-term a lot of time thinking about Freddie Adu. It's Grant Wall. Grant, thank you for making uh, your return appearance to the show. Hey, how are you, Taylor? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about Freddie Adu, man. It's uh, awesome. It's a topic that like I feel like everybody in U.S. soccer knows at least something about. I think that's uh, I think I saw a couple different people say on Twitter in response to your first episode, which is now out, uh, that like, oh my, like my my partner knows who Freddie Adu is, and they don't know anything about soccer. I think my wife knows, like, oh yeah, Freddie Adu wasn't he in like a soda commercial or something? <laughs> like it's it seems to be a pretty popular thing. But I don't know if anybody's really been able to kind of delve into his story and what happened and everything that's gone into it. And, and now you have. So I wanted to talk a bit about American Prodigy. Uh, I wanted, I guess I wanted to let you talk about it as opposed to me just describing what it is. Uh, I don't want to go full Chris Farley show here. Uh, but I wanted to ask first, like, what was the motivator for you? Why did you decide this is a podcast you wanted to do? I mean, I was always hoping there would be a 30 for 30 on the Freddie Adu story. That would be good. And, and there wasn't. And I now know a little more about why, in part because Freddie turned them down. Um, but, like, this is one of the biggest stories in the history of American soccer, and Freddie Adu transcended soccer. It's kind of crazy, like you say. I still think Freddie is probably among the 10 most recognizable names in soccer to Americans, mm -hmm. like ordinary Americans. And he hasn't played in a first division since the Philadelphia Union several years ago. So that gives you an idea of how much he broke through the clutter in 2003 and 2004 when he was a 14-year-old playing in MLS and making his debut as a rookie. So I figured if 30 for 30 wasn't going to do an episode or a series on Freddie Adu, I might as well do it. And I had this dinner in Manchester, England back in 2016 with Aleko Eskandarian, who had been Freddie's teammate on DC United in 2004, Freddie's rookie season. And Aleko, uh, he was there visiting for some something he was working on. I was there reporting something. And over that dinner, Aleko told some pretty wild stories about what it was like that year. And just the whole Freddie Adu experience. And it sort of got me going again on like, I really want to tell this story in an ambitious, big way. And then this is a modern media story. It's like, how do you square away the time to do it? Because there's so many demands on, you know, get stuff done, be on the hamster wheel, all these things. And so I just wasn't able to do for a number of reasons this big of a project over the last few years. And then suddenly this summer I had some time and uh, blue wire <laughs> podcast is this up and coming podcast group. Yeah. My former producer at sports illustrated, Harry Swartout had chosen to leave SI and go to blue wire. And that's how I got connected. And I pitched this Freddie Adu series and they were like, do it. And how how involved was Freddie f from the beginning, or was he a, a more late arrival to the project? I mean, I had known Freddie really well over the years and had done a lot of stories on him for Sports Illustrated in 2003, 2004. I visited him in Greece in 2010. So, like, over the years was still speaking to you Freddie. You flew to Finland on your own dime, right? 
I did back in 2003 for the under 17 world cup, which was Freddie's coming out party. He was the youngest player in the tournament at age 14, had a hat trick in the first game. That'll work. And that's right around when MLS was bidding against European clubs to sign Freddie. And, and he was a huge deal. So I, at one point as part of that Finland trip was wanting to write a book on Freddie. You know, I, I was fascinated by his story by, sports prodigies and our fascination culturally with them. I had done uh, our LeBron James cover story when he was 17 years old in 2002. So that was just a year before Freddie and that had gotten a really good response. And by then LeBron was already starting as a rookie in the NBA. And so I, I joked that I was on the prodigy beat uh, for sports illustrated and Freddie would have these good performances for the national team in summer tournaments, youth and senior. So like in the 2011 gold cup, he actually kind of got things going again, started the final against Mexico when it was one of the U.S.'s better players in that famous game, joined the Philadelphia union, couldn't really get the consistency going and stopped playing after the 2018 season for the Las Vegas lights. And I talked to Eric Winalda, who was the coach who cut him and obviously, from the start on this project, I wanted to t talk to Freddie and, and to get him really for the first time to talk in detail about his career, because he's always refused that. And he said no to me, very politely at first, but he said no to me. And, and that was a blow, to be honest. And thank God, like Blue Wire Podcasts was like, go ahead and do this anyway. I, I sort of bet on myself. I said, look, I think I can do this series with or without Freddie. And I was hoping that I would interview a bunch of people and show that we were doing the project and that Freddie might reconsider. And his one of his close confidants, Arnold Tarzi, his first youth coach, actually told me when I interviewed him, I bet you a steak dinner that Freddie will not ever say yes to this interview. And I was like, oh, that's not good. Because <laughs> I really do want to get him. <laughs> Th thanks for that, I guess. <laughs> and, cool. yeah. and so what was really cool was I do two in about two dozen interviews in June and July. And I get a text from uh, someone close to Freddie. And they say, check back with Freddie. I think a couple of us have talked to him, explained that this is the defining story on your career and that it would be in your interest, Freddie, to speak to him. And, and I think he's willing to do it now. So I texted Freddie and he was like, I'm free Monday. And so basically I was fist pumping all over the room that night yeah. because for me, I mean, like it's, I, I, I tried to make this about me, but like, there was kind of a lot on on me or I put a lot on me for this series because this is the first big project I've done sports or post sports illustrated. It's and also oh, sorry, it go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it was just it's just really important for me to show that I could do this and continue to do really good ambitious work and have it work out. But I I assume that like part of his hesitation to to do this type of thing or to talk at length about his career is first of all knowing what most people i mean there's a reason why everybody knows he was in a sierra mist commercial or like didn't he hug pele or something like that like 
And, and so I think I assume there's a level of self-awareness of like, I know what people want to hear me talk about. I don't really want to talk about like the worst moments in my life over and over and over again. For you as a person who then gets him to be part of it, how do you thread that needle? How do you ask the questions that you know he doesn't want to answer, that you know he doesn't want asked, but you sort of have to ask? How did you go about doing that? Because I imagine for me, I would have that fist pump moment like, yeah, he's going to be part of this. Oh, God, he's going to be part of this. And you got to figure out how to right. navigate that one. I mean, for me, like this is high degree of difficulty, yeah. but also really challenging in a way that I find exhilarating to to find the balance to 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 structure an interview with Freddie so that we can get good stuff but also journalistically address some really important things that he may not want to address and that's on me as an interviewer to to find the right tone during the whole thing and that's uh I I really embrace that because that's why I do what I do. And, uh, and so it's a, it, it's, it's something that interview with Freddie lasted around 90 minutes and we're actually going to do another one now that he signed with a team in Sweden, which we weren't expecting, but like that 90 minutes I planned out in crazy detail, how I wanted to approach that interview so that we could address the topics that I felt we needed to address while also being willing to freelance a little bit based on what he was saying, because that's the key to doing really good interviews is to be able to kind of go off script and pursue things that come up in the interview. When, when you say that you had like a, a, like a detailed level of preparation for that interview, what does that look like? For me, when I write down a bunch of questions, I tend to be like, oh, this is how it's going to flow, of course. And then we jump from the first question to the fifth and back to the second and then to the ninth. Like, did you, did you have it, that level of planning or is it sort of like, I know I have a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. I've got it grouped out. Like, what is the planning there for you? I mean, I, I go into great detail in a, you know, in a Google Doc, just like on the topics I want to hit. Mm -hmm. Specific questions I know I want to get to, but also other things like if it's going in this direction, here's what I might like. It's a little choose your own adventure type stuff, right? Like, and I'm fascinated with the interview process in general, always have been, and and always want to be empathetic, especially in an interview that gets into sensitive topics at at, at certain points, and and so that's. That's kind of what happened in a few ways. And I think also to show some vulnerability myself. I mean, there was a point in this interview where I asked Freddie, do I owe you an apology because of how I presented him to the public in 2003 and 2004? That was my seventh it question for you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's a lot of things that, you have to be aware of as a media person, including that when you're putting somebody on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a 14-year-old, or at least on part of a cover when he, when he debuted, um, you're impacting the story. You're impacting the person by doing that. And to act as if you aren't is silly. Mm -hmm. And so when I was writing about LeBron, if you look at that story, if you look at the first stories I wrote on Freddie... 
I had sort of an approach to those types of, of stories where you wanted to talk to people who were really respected in the sport, who'd seen Freddie and LeBron play and give you an idea of what they thought they could become, but also include some caveats in there because there was no guarantee they were going to make it. And I do think on the one hand that any superstar athlete is going to have to deal with media hype. And that's just part of becoming a superstar athlete. And so I don't apologize for that, but I do think it's important for media to to be honest and not overhype and and then to to take some responsibility. So that for me was an interesting experience asking Freddie, looking back, do I owe you an apology and and hearing the response and that's I think in episode 6. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Teasing it out. I like it. Uh, for w- From your time at Sports Illustrated, is there like a – is there a person who's responsible for like calming down the hype? Because I, like, I remember we went through a period – like the one that stands out in my head was like Sebastian Telfair where he mm-hmm. was going to be the new LeBron. And I feel like every couple months we got a new LeBron or a new Freddie Adu or a, a new whatever. Like how do you sort of – or how – when you were at Sports, Sports Illustrated, did people sort of separate those things of like, okay, this one does feel like it's worth talking about putting on the cover versus maybe we can calm down the hype on this guy for now? I mean – this is a tradition that isn't just with sports magazines. If you go back to the 50s and 60s, Sports Illustrated would put Rick Mount on the cover, high school basketball player from Indiana, you know, and and Vanity Fair's done this uh, with emerging actors and actresses and Rolling Stone has done this over the years. Um, and so it's sort of a classic genre of American magazines to, to put some to introduce a star and and try to create a star on the cover and you know like what's uh what's the band name from uh, almost famous stillwater got on the cover of rolling stones that kind of thing yeah and (laughs) and so i was trying to pull one i was like really like (laughs) who's been on the cover that i can remember (laughs) that's a great one (laughs) and and so i think it's not a new thing but and actually, from my perspective, maybe we could have had more responsibility over the years and not put Sebastian Telfair on the cover of Sports <laughs> Illustrated a few years after LeBron because he ended up not making it. But then there was Bryce Harper who did. And sure. and so it's just part of the deal. And uh, And so I'm fascinated by the factors that go into making it if you're a phenom or not making it. And so part of that got into how I wanted to approach this Freddie Adu story. Hey folks, more still to come from my conversation with Grant Wall. But first, I wanted to let you know that this episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you by HelloFresh. You can get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal Kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store, makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Let's talk about a few of those things. First of all, uh, as we live in the pandemic era, maybe you don't want to make as many trips to the grocery store. We've talked about it before. We will continue to talk about it, that it is very convenient to have groceries delivered right to your door, but it's not just the kind of standard things that you might put in your your Kroger cart or something like that, and then you have to drive there and get them, and you're going to make the same old meals. Looking at their menu for this week, for example, 
we've got mozzarella and herb chicken with roasted carrots and buttery couscous. Yes. Beef bulgogi meatballs with roasted carrots, ginger rice, and sriracha crema. Yes. Tostadas suprema with pork uh, topped with poblano, lime crema, and pico de gallo. Also, yes. Those are three great meals that you probably wouldn't otherwise be making in late November. But with HelloFresh, you've got that as an option. So you have the opportunity to make new things, exciting things, but you also can sort of be guilt-free. 90% of ingredients are sourced directly, over 90%, I should say, of ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure peak flavor and ripeness. HelloFresh offers more than 20 chef-crafted, delicious options every single week. We already mentioned a few of those. And there's something everyone will enjoy, including 20-minute meals, low-calorie, vegetarian, kid-approved, and more. And I am very excited to have that option. Uh, My wife and I are expecting our first child. We're probably not going to have the free time to go out and do a bunch of cooking or definitely not go out to restaurants all the time. But with HelloFresh, we're looking forward to sort of cooking in the kitchen, being together, having those moments, best laid plans. We'll see how that ends up going. Uh, But we do enjoy that process, have in the past, and will continue to do so. So if you want to check out what HelloFresh has on offer, you can do so. And you can do so at a discount if you go to HelloFresh.com slash T. TSS90 and use the code at TSS90. You can get $90 off, including free shipping. Once again, that's HelloFresh.com slash TSS90. Use code TSS90 to get $90 off with free shipping. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you very much to Hims for sponsoring today's episode. 4Hims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35. I am past that, so... It's definitely underway as I lift my cap that I'm wearing to hide that process of being underway. But you don't have to wear a hat. You don't have to hide these things. You can instead turn to actual medical solutions, FDA-approved products to help treat hair loss. 4hims.com connects you with licensed medical professionals online, which could save you hours. That means no awkward in-person doctor's visits or long pharmacy lines. Nobody wants either of those things. Uh, unless you want somebody standing way too close to you and, you know, coughing in public and then you can feel uncomfortable and sort of paranoid for the rest of the day, you don't have to have that. Instead, the medication just comes right to your door and you never have to go outside. Uh, I feel like a lot of our ad reads end up with me sort of sounding agoraphobic, but I'm fine with it. Uh, 4hims.com is completely confidential and discreet. All All you need to do is answer a few quick questions. A medical professional will review, and if they determine it's right for you, can prescribe your medication to treat hair loss that is shipped directly to your door, as I said. Today, Hims is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy with your results after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. And right now, our listeners can get their first visit absolutely free. Go to 4hims.com slash total soccer. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash total soccer. Here's your disclaimer. Prescription products require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. But remember, that's 4hims.com. Slash total soccer. Thank you very much to Hims for sponsoring this episode. Now back to me talking to Grant Wall about his new podcast, American Prodigy. So then, what was your pitch to him, either initially or when he did, when you kind of get those messages saying maybe follow back up with him? How did you sort of pitch this to him to get him on board? I think it had been pitched to him by the people around him to an ah. extent. And this is where it helped to have a background with Freddie, where even when he was saying no to being interviewed for this, he was doing it politely and he knew me, you know, I haven't changed. I'm the same guy who was interviewing him multiple times in the past. So when we finally did the interview and we're face to face on, well, on Zoom, just like you and I are right now. And and so Freddie, Freddie is still a good interview. And that's one thing that 
sort of stood out to me during our interview was it's not like I was having to really pry and pry and work at getting him to say something. He's always been a good interview, remains that way, is not bitter. And, and actually, a lot of people assume that Freddie is this sad story. And if you talk about that with him or any of the people around him, even today, they're like, he's not a sad story. And actually, like what he's doing right now, there's an inspirational element to it. He's trying after two years of not playing professionally, he's going to come back for this third tier team in Sweden and he's not going to make much money and he's not going to get back to the national team, but he really is doing this for the love of the game, which is kind of cool. Yeah. What are some of, what are some of the more interesting things that you maybe uh, learned in the in the course of recording this, or maybe like what are some ideas you had that he dispelled or you realized were wrong in the course of producing this? Well, I mean, that was one was that you know is Freddie a sad story? Mm-hmm. Um, and and he's not, um, at least from his perspective. Um, I think I wanted to ask, and I did ask everybody we interviewed. Uh, you know, do you think Freddie was the age he said he was? Mm-hmm. And there's some interesting answers that come up in future episodes. Um, but the majority of the responses were yes. And a lot of it came from people who were on DC United in 2004, which was a team that won the title that year, by the way, despite the Freddie Circus. And there were some big personalities on that team, like Ben Olson, Mike Petke, Ernie Stewart, Aleko Eskandarian. You know, I interviewed all those guys, Peter Novak. Um, and, and, and they generally said the same thing, which was Freddie acted like a 14-year-old. And they got frustrated with that at times. Hmm. Like, <laughs> there was one moment where... You know, Jaime Moreno was on this team, one of the greatest players in MLS history. And Aleko Eskandarian tells this story of like in practice once, Freddie tells Jaime that Freddie is his daughter's favorite player on the team. <laughs> and apparently this set off Jaime so much, Jaime Moreno, that his head exploded. And he was like wanting to attack a 14-year-old, wanting to fight a 14-year-old, and then realize I can't fight a 14-year-old. That's not going to work. But like stuff like that happened inside the team. Yeah. Did you get a sense of how they like how they approached training, how they approached games? Because like in the first episode, I think you do a very good job of painting like the picture of him as this very small, not even a teenager in a lot of these stories, and then being around a bunch of teenagers, he has the line of like, what is it, like no 15-year-old wants to hang out with an 11-year-old, or it's, <laughs> it's very different situations. I imagine no 26-year-old really wants to hang out with a 14-year-old. Do you get an idea of how they approached being around Freddie Do, interacting with him, training with him? That becomes a pretty big topic in episodes two and three, and... It's really interesting because Eskandarian, I think, was 2021, was probably the closest in age to Freddie on the team. And they became friends after sort of a rocky start when Freddie won Aleko's number. But um, that... Did you say won his number? Wanted his number. Wanted. I thought you said won. I was like, oh, that's that's a story I need to hear. All right, cool. Um, and, And so, like... They're especially on the road, like when the team's traveling, like 
you know, the guys on the team didn't want to be taking Freddie out to a club or, or something like that. And then part, some of the times Freddie would turn up at the club, they would see him there and then he would be getting like this VIP treatment that they couldn't get. <laughs> so it was kind of crazy. Um, and so that part of it, I think was a challenge. You know, Ernie Stewart, who's a, a pretty, you know, buttoned up guy, had some pretty strong opinions about how Freddie was handled, especially that first season by the league and how Ernie wishes Freddie had just been given more time to be a soccer player and focus on the soccer side as opposed to the promotional side. Uh, and then inside the team, you know, like rookies are supposed to carry the ball bags and, and things like that. And there was some tension over that because Freddie resisted that a little bit. And Freddie wanted to start from day one. And the subject of playing time becomes a real issue, essentially from the start. And that continues. And so yeah. that, that was a real like that. There's there's uh, there's quite a bit of tension, dramatic tension that comes in this podcast from that topic. So, like, that's that's the thing that I was sort of, like, thinking a lot about in listening to that first episode is, like, I do have probably incorrect ideas about Freddie Adu and why things didn't work out or sort of about who he was as a player, as a person. And then the more I'm – like, there is sort of an old guard when it comes to soccer media. Not saying you're old, but it's the people who've been there for a very long time. <laughs> and talking to a few people who have been there for a long time and hearing about, like, no, he's a really nice guy. Like, no, he's really friendly. It just, like, that does – change my perspective a little bit. But then I think at the same time, I have this idea of like, but if you're a 14 year old going into a professional team, like I can only speak from my experience, which is obviously very different from his own. But like, I, I would be like, oh, you know, like I'm a little bit anxious. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not trying to be the guy. And I guess that's not how you end up being the guy. You've got to go in there with that swagger. But like, it's confusing to me, I guess, to hear him be very humble, be very sort of straightforward and talking about his life and what happened to him, but then hear those stories of like, oh, no, he wanted to be a starter from day one and wasn't going to carry the ball bags. Like, w like, is it like sort of two different mindsets in there? Which one of those do you think is more like the real Freddie Adu, if that is such a thing? You know, I, I think you've probably seen the Diego Mar Maradona documentary mm -hmm. that came out last year, which is fantastic by Asif Kapadia. And the whole construction there was that there was this guy, Diego, who was a normal acting guy. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. there was Maradona, who was this sort of creation of Maradona to deal with the media pressure and and never show any weaknesses. And that there was a real tension between the two. Um there's some of that with Freddie where he was always very and still is able to turn it on for media interviews. And I think there's, I, I think it's natural. I don't want to say that it's not natural, but I also think that when the cameras and the recorders are off, there were some different things that he did mm -hmm. inside a team. And, and I think everyone is like that to an extent. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think also that first season, there were a lot of differences in, like, just people's expectations. When you put Freddie Adu and Pele in a national TV ad campaign for the entire season, you're setting a certain expectation, even for Freddie. And so yeah, that's true. I think Freddie, if you look at his first season in MLS, scores five goals. He's 14 years old, um, wins a championship, and yet... At the end of that first season, Freddie was disappointed. 
when a lot of people would look at it and even his teammates did look at it and go like, that's a good first season, man. And, and so those expectations had been set and even Freddie bought into them. Hmm. I mean, that you, that does make a lot of sense that if you're going to put somebody in a national like uh, advertising campaign with Pele and then be like, why, why do you have such high demands? Like, why do you have such a high opinion of yourself? <laughs> Maybe that's a bit unfair. So I'm really excited to hear kind of how the story progresses. The first episode was excellent, by the way. Nice. Uh, and I think you should be very proud. The response seems to have been very good. The question that I'm going to assume you get to at some point, or if not, I look forward to discussing uh, in uh, at greater length, is like – like, do you think we have sort of improved as a soccer culture in this country? Because whenever you hear about the next big thing, the next player coming through, there is a like, well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want this to be Freddie Adu. Like, we don't want to kind of overhype this or anything like that, which is, I'm sure is a label he does not love. But like, like a lot of that first episode is him being thrown into like Thunderdome situations and can he survive? And here's a kid who like was like guest playing on a team and is now in Bradenton and like, good luck. And I just, it feels like you're kind of setting kids up to either survive, but then it's a very different person coming out of that atmosphere or to not because it's really, really difficult. Do you think U.S. soccer has progressed and, and gotten better or done better at sort of helping young players find their way through? To some extent. I, I mean, it's so different today compared to 2003 and four. Like, you know, when we see American teenagers with the men's national team, like Giovanni Reina or Serginio Dest, we see them also playing for Dortmund and Barcelona in Champions League games starting. And, and you're like, okay, so that gives you a much better idea of where these guys really are. And they're also older than Freddie Adu was when he was 14 and starting in MLS. I do think there's a tendency to now look back on what happened to Freddie and say, oh, he was totally overhyped and there's no way he was that good. And, and the people at the time were just completely off and wrong. And I think one thing you get out of this first episode from talking to people close to Freddie who saw him or coaches who saw him was actually at the time, what they were saying, even looking back now, was not outrageous mm -hmm. based on what they saw and what he could become. And so to just say today, those guys were idiots, I think is, is not cool and, and, and missing the point. The point is that prospects, phenoms, don't always make it. And, and Freddie, even compared to LeBron... Freddie was 13, 14 years old. LeBron was 17. And there's a big difference between those ages. And so I, I, I think that's something that comes out of the series and was good for me to sort of remind myself. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, I guess, how I feel about, about that. And also MLS is in a different state today than it was then. You kind of wish that Freddie Adu had had the infrastructure to work with an MLS that there is now. Yeah. And, and things might've been different. Do you think he would go play with Loudoun United? Would he be okay with playing with the reserve team? <laughs> it's a great question. You know, 14 year old uh, Freddie, that is not current Freddie. I feel like current Freddie wouldn't mind so much. I mean, you look back and, and you also wonder like, would it have been better for Freddie to have signed with a European team and been in like the IAC system mm -hmm. 
which has dealt with players that age for a long time, much longer than MLS teams did, and not have as much media coverage. Like, you know, when Christian Pulisic or Giovanni Reina goes to Dortmund at the age they did, um, you know, they were able outside the media glare to focus entirely on soccer and do it in a, in a system at Dortmund that is the gold standard globally for how to deal with young players. And MLS was not the gold standard, especially in 2004 for how to deal with young players. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to hear more about training and about his time with DC United uh, on American Prodigy, which is the podcast series. What is the release schedule uh, for the show? So it's going to come out once a week, uh, every Tuesday uh, through the new year. So there's seven episodes. We originally had six, but we're doing a seventh now that Freddie has signed with his team in Sweden. Uh, he's going to go and train over there and we're going to talk to him when he gets back. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fired up that the response has been so good so far. And I, some people are like, I wish I could binge all of these. I get it. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm told that it's going to be one episode a week. Well, as a, as a person who would have had to listen to the entire series to prepare for this interview, I'm happy that you're doing it once a week so that I could listen to that one and then sort of get, get my mind around it. But I like, I'm always like a little bit nervous to do like a podcast about a podcast. But in this case, like it's, it's so interesting and it's such a compelling story. And so like, and a story that like we all know a little bit about, but not a lot about sort of. So I think it's a really, fascinating project that you've undertaken and uh and yeah i'm enjoying it so far i know a lot of other people are as well how can people find it is it basically just go wherever you get a podcast and there it will be yeah pretty simple wherever you get your podcast apple spotify stitcher wherever um they they're making it pretty easy to get, get and to. any other any other any other big news from uh from from up there anything else going on you know, I'm still doing football with Grant Wall uh, and uh, enjoying that. Had Jesse Marsh on yeah. uh, recently. Also, Serginio Dest, Arlo White. Um, we've got uh, Kyle Krause coming, the American who owns Parma, and, uh, and Kate Abdo. So, really enjoying some of the that's interviews a, you, you're doing. That's a solid squad you've got there. The, yeah. Uh, the rotating series of guests are pretty are pretty solid, man. So yes, football with Grant Wall, American Prodigy, uh, both excellent. Grant Wall, always excellent. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.